0: Welcome to the EIM Global Podcast, the place where we speak to experts from across education, academia and industry, so we can contribute to the professional conversations happening across our communities now. The discussions we have and insights shared by guests help develop our own thinking and work and hopefully spark further dialogue for other educators too, as they reflect on their practice and the students they work with. Today, I had great fun chatting with Jill Kelly. Jill knows what it means to lead and learn. As a former head teacher of three different and diverse schools, she brings great creativity, insight, and gravitas to those that she works with. A qualified, co-active training institute core curriculum coach, a professional certified coach with the ICF, and co-founder of Making Stuff Better, coaching leaders around the world today is what Jill spends her time doing. In this episode, we cover what Jill means by inner leader coaching, applying coaching principles with students, her thoughts on some practical steps schools might take with the future of education in mind, and some work Jill is doing on measuring the impact of coaching. So without further ado, let's step right into the episode now. Jill Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Really pleased to uh, to have you on and, and thank you uh, for your time. It's great to see you again. How are you?
1: I'm really well and it's lovely to see you too.
0: How have you been since we last spoke? I feel like it's it's got to be a few months now. What have you been doing? What have you been focused on?
1: We, as a company, we've been really focused on what we do at our core is supporting leadership in international schools. So, we have been focusing on that and working with other partners. So privileged to work with EIM. And now we're working with, with other partners in the educational sector as well. So lots of lots of coaching of leaders, which is wonderful and bringing great coaches on board and, and, and really focusing on the next level of development for us, which is evaluating the impact of what coaching has on people genuinely. So people talk about coaching as this wonderful thing. But when they say, well, what impact does it have? It's sometimes harder to develop that and say what it is. So we're working with a company called ImpactEd to make a bespoke evaluation tool. So we're really excited about that because um, it's based around the theory of change model, which I'll talk about later if if you want to, just as a sort of philosophy, I suppose, of how to measure impact. So that's the next level of development for us now is we, we know it works, but actually it's actually getting a kind of metric that can show that it works in a more of
0: an empirical way. Sounds fascinating and would definitely love to touch on that a little bit later on. Okay. Just sort of for listeners perhaps that, that haven't worked with making stuff better, so far, maybe aren't familiar with uh, yourself and, you know, how, how Making Stuff Better came to be. It would be fascinating just to kind of step back a moment and ask a little bit about the, the journey to that. So I know that obviously you were a head teacher previously in a number of schools. You know, what, what was your journey into coaching?
1: So I had, you're right, uh, I was, had the privilege of working in three very diverse, well, I've led three very diverse schools. I've worked in many schools in my career. And I've been in education since 1992, so quite some time now. And when I um, experienced headship for the first time, that there was clearly a need for not just a mentor, which I got when I was first ahead, but some form of external source that had no judgment for leaders and was, I used to call it the safety valve to let the pressure off and, and speak to somebody neutral. So that thought stayed with me and I, I provided something like that for my team Back when I didn't even know what coaching was. I had no idea what coaching was. I'd never been trained. But I gave that facility to my senior team when I was first ahead. Anyway, fast forward, two more headships. And I was in my last headship um, with this wonderful state school in the south of England. And my business partner had already begun the coach training process. And he said, Jill, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Actually, they sound a bit like you. They sound a bit like the way you talk. Maybe you should do it. So Okay, so call me foolish, but in my last few months of my headship in the state boarding school, I decided to start training because I wanted to sort of hear it. And he was absolutely right. I felt very at home with it. Very experiential form of coaching, a company called Proactive Training Institute. I mean, from a real sort of personal perspective it had a dramatic impact on my own personal life i moved 300 miles away started a new life and i couldn't be happier and then we started coaching i started coaching during my last headship other head teachers and you could just see in front of our eyes myself and my clients um, and i only had one or two at that point the, the impact it had and the loneliness and it's a cliche i know around senior leadership that you can feel lonely. But the first two clients that I had just went, my goodness, this has made such a difference to me. So from that small acorn, we decided to really grow the company as a coaching company. Prior to that, we'd gone into business together and Mats and I are both former school leaders, senior leaders. And we said, well, I don't really know what we want to be. We just want to work together. So why don't we just make a school improvement company, which didn't light our fire at all soon as we found coaching and saw the impact it had oh my goodness and it just took off so and since then we've now we're now four years later are coaching in every continent in the world we support over 200 international school leaders around the world and are now developing other programs so we do coach training and we also have a leadership mastermind programme, which we have people in. So it's evolved and developed, but coaching is absolutely at the core of everything we do.
0: So it sounds like impact there is a real theme, isn't it? And, and I'd love to come back to, to, to impact and the way you measure that, and as you mentioned earlier on. But you, you refer to something called inner leader coaching, and I think perhaps it'll be useful for listeners just to, to get your thoughts on on what you mean by that. You know, what is inner leader coaching? Uh, I don't know, you've touched on why it's important to your work, but, but any sort of elaboration on that would be helpful to understand i think
1: okay so the concept of the inner leader is essentially your true authentic self your inner resources of leadership that sometimes many times people have not even got any awareness that they exist so we put lots of barriers and expectations around what kind of person we should be in this world but the inner leader is your true authentic self without any fear any sense of limitation put upon ourselves and it's our most fierce, courageous, compassionate and wise version of ourselves. And your inner leader knows exactly what to do, knows exactly what to say and what actions to take in any given situation. And often people say it's aligned to intuition, that your inner leader is uh, your intuition. I'd say actually it is uh, far deeper than that. It's actually who you are. And knowing who you are and what your true desires and your goals are can actually guide you through your reality, guide you through your current context, whatever that might be. So when we use the inner leader concept quite early on in our coaching programs with with leaders, it's really about taking them to who they are without any sense of what I ought to say or what I should say, what I could or would do. It's actually who are you? What what available resources are inside of you that you didn't even know that you can tap into when the going either gets tough or the going is joyous and needs to be even more joyous? So you're in a leader concept. and that, we were taught this during our training, uh, Coactive Training Institute. So I'm um, just reference them really, um, and it's a very powerful, very very powerful um, concept.
0: So, so Jill. The, the idea of the inner leader and this authentic self, I'm really interested in, in that, but I wonder about thinking about it from the point of view f- for a moment of students, perhaps. I think a lot of people talk about students potentially benefiting from the kind of skills and self-regulation abilities that coaches often work to help people develop, You know, and students obviously in, in leadership roles themselves in, in many respects. Uh, And so I'd just love to get your thoughts on that. Obviously, I'm thinking about it from an age-appropriate perspective and also wondering about it from, I guess, the role that student agency plays perhaps in in the development of that and the interplay of student agency with that gaining and development of self-knowledge in the way that I think is probably connected to the sort of inner leader idea that you're talking about there from the point of view of staff.
1: Yes, it's a very good question. And if we think about educational systems for a moment... And the impact they might have on, on young people is that we are we fill our educational systems with rules and structures and we design curriculums, we design assessment, we write timetables, we tell children where to go at certain times. And all of that is logical and understandable when you're running a school. What's important to have alongside that is permission giving for children to think for themselves. Now, that might, again, might seem insulting for some leaders who are listening to this. Thing. Well, of course we do. That's what education is. As someone who's led schools myself and in, in, in often quite challenging circumstances, leaders can get quite fixated on control and order and, and allowing some, within very tight parameters, some independence in the, in the mind and some agency on the part of children to be able to operate within that. Very often it's academically focused because that's the focus of it might be the school group or the owners of the school or the government of the country they're in. It isn't always around the softer skills around who they are as as individuals. So student agency, in terms of allowing this inner leader awareness, is fundamental. If they are not involved in the exploration of who they are, they are certainly not going to get it handed to them in a textbook or on a plate or in a conversation with their tutor. All of those things are great and help and will encourage people to reflect. And I'm not for a minute saying tutors are important. I think time with tutors can be spent differently. And we've had some experience of actually working with a school um, in a a, a EIM school, Juhai, where we worked with tutor time tutors. We trained them in how to use how to have coaching conversations with students. And we actually developed an inner leader program for young people from year 10 upwards, where we worked on through tutor time some activities to allow children to go deeper within and to reflect on their own voices that limit them, voices that might hold them back. What is it, what what expectations are you placing on yourself as a young person that will actually stop you from being truly you and truly asking for what you want? Because essentially, student agency, inner leader. If you really harness those powers, it's about asking for what you want and asking for help in achieving what you want and understanding what your goals are and also understanding that those goals might change. At the age of 14, your goals will be different when you're 45. So this awareness of life as a and I'm not going to say journey there, I just said the word, but this life as an adventure, as a time frame, as a thing that will shift, change and move, and that's okay, is really important. So... Student agency is fundamental. As I said before, you can't just be handed your own self-awareness by somebody else. It's something you've got to find yourself. And once you found it and get to understand it, and I found at the age of 55, getting involved in this five years, six years ago, it continues to evolve. Um, and that's the beautiful thing. You get this self-awareness, but actually it can continue to evolve. So schools could do a great deal of help for young people to allow this kind of self-exploration to take place, and the phrase I want to chuck in there is around permission giving in schools. And the reason why I say that is because going back to my earlier point about structures and rules and time frames and timetables, all of that is important. Taking exams, the exam system—we could all debate the importance of that, especially after the pandemic. But they have very sort of strict rules, and schools can get really fixated on that. So to allow children permission, time to explore, to reflect, to look into themselves and understand what is it they really want? Um, not just what ought I do, because my, my parents or my school are encouraging me to be go down a particular path. What do, what do I really want? What if I was Jill, age 14, and I asked myself what I really, really wanted at this point in my life, and I explored that and what that told me about me? But I could not do that if I was in an environment where there were huge expectations and no permission or safe space to talk about that. And it would just perpetuate the narrowness of expectation as opposed to this wide open expanse of, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could go and be a jockey. Uh, maybe I could go and dance on stage, um, even though everyone's told me it's never going to be something that I wanted to do or you should do. So uh, maybe I could be a politician and be the president of the United States, whatever it might be. Uh, Maybe I could fly to the moon. Whatever it might be, this sense of understanding yourself and and what would make you feel alive as your true authentic self will feed into your future plans um, as well as what you're doing now. So that's quite a long answer to your question, but agency is really important.
0: No, that's great, great, Joe. I love this phrase, permission giving. Uh, I think there's something so, so positive about that idea. You know, and it, and it helps us really think about. I suppose what, what sometimes those structures that we have in place in schools, as you said, in, in many cases for, for lots of understandable reasons, certainly historically, but nonetheless, they sometimes remove the ability for that permission to be given and to reflect on that for a moment. I think it's really interesting. So actually, just just. Sort of digging a bit further on that, what, what do you think? You know, with the sort of future schools lens on for a moment, what do you think schools can do? I guess in in practical terms, to perhaps start to to engender that sort of permission giving, starting to reflect on on creating space for that. What, what do you think that looks like in schools? Perhaps there's
1: some. It's, I've just come back from Dubai and um, they have a museum. They're called Museum of the Future, and I went there on Monday this week. And I came back um, very challenged by um, what I saw. And what's interesting is there's a lot of future work happening now. So, for example, uh, one idea would be to harness the Earth's solar energy to be able to replace fossil fuels. Now, I will link this to your question in a minute, uh, uh, Crispian. If we had a world where we didn't have to worry about the eradication of fossil fuels, if we knew that we were safe, if we knew that we could use technology to allow our buildings, our lives to be safe in terms of we're not just going to implode, um, if we knew that um, the world could be seen in, in a safe space, I wonder what that would do to education. I wonder what the, what that would do to educators and people who run schools. What if we had, for example, 3D printers that built schools, that printed schools? 3D printed schools, which would never crumble, would always be maintained. And the money for the maintenance of of buildings actually doesn't have to worry about that. We can put that into into innovative programmes that would help children, take the pressure off children and help young people to really think about themselves. So instead of a relentless exam factory and also trying to work out money to sort about buildings and expansion, leaders of schools could start to think more meaningfully about the curriculum that is absolutely within their school. And real simple things like building in meditation time, building in, making things like meditation and self-reflection as important as achieving the top grade in maths and English, valuing knowledge of self and the articulation of that as importantly as the next job that you go on to do or the university that you have chosen to go to, whether it's Oxbridge, whether it's a Russell Group university, valuing that as much as those very traditional outcomes and very often badges of honour for schools. You know, what if we flip that and said, yeah, that's important. But what about actually creating a whole fully formed or not fully formed, but, you know, uh, uh, producing children, young people from these institutions that can actually articulate their hopes, their dreams, their desires with no fear of being laughed at or judged um, because they've got the inner resources that to allow them to embrace this world, whatever it brings. So meditation, journaling, Uh, the articulation of it I again when I was in Dubai last week I witnessed an incredibly impressive debating society in a school in in Dubai what about actually talking about yourself obviously because debating societies are all around this house believes and and arguments what if there were situations where young people could actually celebrate their own self-awareness what if they could celebrate and articulate that with other people And that became a key part of the curriculum. What if activism was a key part of the curriculum? What if climate activism was a key part of the curriculum? And for people to be activists and to have the courage to be able to do that, you've got to be really clear about your own desires, your own wants. So this isn't just about producing um, young people with exam results. And I know that there's been lots of good work in many schools around the world that have, have, have countered this. We're here now. We've gone through two years of a pandemic. There was big talk about turning education into blockchain technology systems where you take nuggets of knowledge and you block it together and scrap exams altogether. We don't need them. It's outmoded. It's 19th century. But here we are in 2022 still talking about exams. So where are we with that? So so in terms of the future, what if we did go to a blockchain system of education and part of that blockchain would be self-awareness? And that had just as much value as getting an exam result or your work experience that you might have had or with your university experience. So I think we've we've got to do something radical around valuing knowledge and and self-knowledge, not just uh, external um, input with regurgitation and our own take on it. So I think the schools of the future need to really sort of take the lessons of the pandemic and resist the desire, (laughs) resist the pull back into the norm of what was my goodness if we've never been given an ever been given an opportunity to rethink the normal this has been it we've had two years of complete change so when are we going to start doing that and we've emerged frankly with young children with mental health issues because of the two years they've spent at home so if this is not the time to think about self-awareness inner resources courage clarity when is
0: yeah i couldn't agree more i mean as you said, if now isn't the opportunity, then crikey, you know, what do, what do we need to happen before we start thinking about, you know, what else what else might be important here? And back to your point about what we value, there's a lot of talk, I think, about the sort of the overemphasis of of the cognitive orientation, you know, in schools historically. And you talked about this idea of the sort of the exam factory, and I think that you know, of course. That knowledge and skill, skill set, of course, is important. We, we know that. that. That's why we've been focused on it for so long. But crikey, there are so much, there's so much more to what it is to be human. And I think uh, I'm quite interested in, in the work of, uh, of Professor Rosemary Luckin and, and what she has to say about you know, the sort of idea of technology coming and artificial intelligence and so on. And it's not that that's going to replace teachers or, or, or you know, human beings by any means, but, but if anything, actually, it gives us an opportunity to reflect on the breadth of human intelligence. And that's, of course, far richer than so often it's, it's given credit for. And if you were to look at you know, school curricula over the last you know, couple of hundred years, you'd be forgiven for thinking that human intelligence was really quite narrow uh, in the way it's being thought about, I think. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to be true to our earlier conversation and touch on this idea of impact, because it seems like a good moment now to think about how we would know if, if we were doing that Right, If we were getting real impact from it. And so I'd be really interested to understand the work that you're just starting to do now that you mentioned at the beginning of the call uh, in terms of thinking about how you measure that impact.
1: Yes. So it's really interesting because uh, we've uh, obviously um, developed our own systems as a coaching company and as as, um, individual coaches where you... Say so where do you want to be at the beginning of a coaching journey? You check in with them, and then you check at the end: did we get there? And that's based on a real individual level, and that's fine. That's still valid. You know how, how many, how many of your clients actually achieve what they wanted to achieve as a result of the coaching? If you are looking at it systemically, if you're looking at it as an organisation, and I know that EIM have been really progressive in doing this for for their leaders for the last four years, how can we meaningfully? say to a group where you've got 15, 16, 17 schools, actually this this coaching thing is actually having an impact. And we looked long and hard at that. And there's things like the Kirkpatrick model, which didn't quite fit um, coaching really, because coaching sits outside performance management. It's not about that. Kirkpatrick works for training, um, which are very sort of more obvious sort of external outcomes, but it's not something that's really fitted with with coaching, which relies heavily on on relationships and individual um, needs. So we started exploring how we could really look at this. And we came across a company called Impact Ed, and they use the methodology of the theory um, of change. And that's essentially the the model is where you might propose that introducing coaching into your organisation increases resilience, leadership resilience, for example. That might be your argument, and that's why you've brought it in. And that's what you want to test. So the um, theory of change model says, OK, we're going to propose that coaching increases leadership resilience. Let's test that. Let's see if that works. So the evaluation is then built around that lens of, OK, how much has this impacted on resilience? And it's a combination of surveys. It's a combination of conversations with people. And we're just in the middle of developing this with um, another large school group who are working with us and we're absolutely are welcoming EIM in this uh, process as well um, to start developing that um, over a wide number of schools so the school group we're working with has roughly 90 schools worldwide and so we're going to be developing that to say okay if we bring it into a large group What's the theory of change that? What is it we're testing? And the benefit of that is it gets the school group to really think, about, well, what, well, what do we want to get out of this coaching? Why are we genuinely bringing coaching into our organisation? And how are we going to know if actually it has had an impact in that way? So the beauty of the, the model is that you can test it through any lens that you like. So I, I mentioned resilience. It could be leadership, leadership retention. It could be leadership assertiveness. It could be a whole range of things, but it gets the organisation to get really clear about what is it they want as a result of this coaching. And every school group we've worked with so far are very clear that they keep it outside of performance management. It's not about you do this coaching because you're failing in some way or you need to get better at your job. That, that's not it. It's actually about much deeper than that. And it's not around KPIs and EBITDA. Um, it's it, it's not associated with that. So so we are really at the beginning of it. We start developing this next month, with a view for it to be launched in August September with all of our programs. And the lovely thing about that is we can bespoke it to every client to be able to say, well, if this is what you think you're bringing it in for, let's test if it is having a an impact. So it's not a one-size-fits-all model. Um, so it's got basic tenets and principles, but you can change the lens as to where you shine it and where you put it, which we're really excited about. Um, because as I said before, assessment can be quite linear sometimes. And coaching, is it's just not a linear thing. It can and this is the beauty and also the difficulty with coaching is that you bring it into your organisation. And once you bring it in, it has knock-on effects that you can't even predict sometimes. So we brought coaching into into Juhai for staff to be able to have conversations with their students and help them to express their own emotions uh, in a culture that is prone to not allowing that to happen and the side impact was the staff knew how to have coaching conversations and that helped them get through the pandemic together because they could coach each other we didn't plan that it was just a a side impact so yeah we're just we're excited to see where it goes um the nice thing is that it can test what leaders um thoughts are and help shape what we do and and how it can have an impact Uh, and if it doesn't have an impact in that way okay what needs to change so it's an iterative thing that can, you know, work with the organisation. You know, don't get me wrong, there are other things out there that can allow you to measure it, but it's very, I would say, uh, one size fits all. It, it, it doesn't feel particularly deep. And it certainly doesn't work on a systemic level, the ones that I've seen so far.
0: Sounds, sounds like a huge piece of work, but, but incredibly interesting and, and rewarding. Uh, I suppose the thing that strikes me as most interesting about that is that it sounds as if, that's going to cause so many further conversations to happen because, of course, you know, to decide what it is that that you want to be focusing on, you know, you have to have those conversations in the first place, which itself drives this sort of ongoing reflection, I think. And and no doubt different groups and different schools and individuals will probably arrive at different conclusions. And and as you said, that's okay. But the fact that those conversations have been had that drive that focus in the first place, hugely impactful. So very interesting. I'd be really interested to find out, you know, a little further down the line, how that work has developed and evolved and, and what that means for, for where you go next. Okay. Great, Jill. It's been a fascinating conversation. We've we've touched on a number of different areas, but you know just briefly. And there's obviously so much more that we could talk about here. But for listeners, you know, whose interest has, has been piqued and would like to know a little bit more about yourself, making stuff better, how can they how can they reach out to you? How can they connect and find out more?
1: They can email me if they want to. On it's Jill with a G, Jill at makingstuffbetter dot com. There's our website, makingstuffbetter.com. dot com. Um, so please do go have a look. And you can. Book in with either Matt or I um, through the website. And yeah, and we have a scorecard app as well, which is if anyone's thinking, how do we get a sense of how we're doing with a coaching culture? That is also on our website. If you want fancy just taking a quick temperature check of your own organisation, that's on there. And you can also book in to have a chat about it. And and don't worry, we we don't do (laughs) heavy sales stuff. That's not our style at all. Um, We just, we, we talk to people. Unsurprisingly, we chat to people. Uh, and if if that fits their organisation, then great. Let's let's work together. That'd be wonderful.
0: Um, and we'll we'll put that in the show notes uh, as well for everyone, Jill. So don't worry about that. But uh, I can certainly second the the impact of the coaching that uh, that you offer, having been a recipient of it myself, and, and very much enjoyed and benefited from that experience. So thanks for that. But but thanks again for for your time today, the insights that you've shared, uh, and yeah, being willing to come on and, and chat with uh, with myself, and I don't know for the benefit of our listeners just been fab having you on. So I look forward to a future conversation at some point. Thank you so much.
1: Not at all. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.
0: So that was Jill Kelly, co founder of making stuff better. Thank you, Jill for joining us on the podcast and sharing your broad experience in the coaching and educational fields. Don't forget, you can follow up with Jill via email or the making stuff better website linked in the show notes. And also, perhaps consider the organizational temperature check Jill referred to as well. Until our next episode. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.